you're a mom who loves herself as much as she loves her kids, or wants to remember how to, you are my people. This is your place. There's a reason that you found this podcast, and I can't wait to connect with you. My name is Jill, and I'm an entrepreneur turned life coach who helps moms transform their lives and up-level into the woman that they know they are, that they once were, and that they want to be again. My secret sauce is taking traditional development tools and curating them into a format that actually works for working moms. No BS. You'll hear from both myself and some rockstar guests. We chat about everything from mom guilt to manifestation, female empowerment to productivity, from habits to goal setting, and we do it all in 30 minutes or less because you're busy. So if you're ready to live into your potential, learn and grow with a sassy, sometimes sweary friend who tells it like it is, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Grow Like a Mother podcast. I am so excited today to have a guest who is going to be talking with us about sleep, which as anyone who has listened to this podcast before knows is what I think is my my secret weapon. But sometimes we find that um, even though we prioritize sleep, our kids don't prioritize their sleep. And so that's <laughs> what we're talking about today. Um, Hillary is passionate about helping exhausted and frustrated parents like me and you teach their kids to sleep through the night so that they can sleep through the night too. She has a successful coaching business where she's helped hundreds of exhausted and frustrated parents of newborns through school age children. And she's a master at teaching you how to get your child to fall asleep independently, sleep through the night and take restful daytime naps on a predictable schedule. So uh, please help me welcome pediatric sleep specialist, speaker, and family coach, Hillary. Is it Jig? Oh, you're gonna have to help me with that one. Julio. It's all right. Yeah. No, that's good. And I should have asked you because Julio okay. would be so easy for Jill to remember. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I help people every day with that. So no worries. So welcome. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here chatting with you. Yeah, I think that this is really timely for a lot of people heading into the holidays where mm -hmm. sleep school, first off, like as we are recording this, school has begun and that throws schedules off. I know that you've got like a kindergarten aged child. Uh -huh. I do too. And a grade one. So everything is like in their bodies is crazy. Yep. And um, I wanted to take this opportunity to pick your brain and get some tips on how we can set our kids up for success and ourselves up for success with sleep coming into the holiday season specifically. Um, but just in general with this really tricky age group, cause you think you're past it yes. by now, right? Yes. Yes. A lot of people do think that you're past it and some maybe, but I work with a lot of kiddos this age. And when you mentioned all the things this year with back to school with the holidays, but don't forget, depending on where you live, I am in Florida. We still observe daylight savings time. Um, so there's, let's throw that in right before the holidays as well. All the sugar that comes along with Halloween. And it's just a fun few months when it comes oh to sleep. God. <laughs> okay, so I had forgotten about daylight savings. So let's first touch on that before <clears throat> I lose that train of thought, because I struggle with this each year. Um, mm -hmm. When I was young, right, fall back, it's like, oh, good, an extra hour of sleep. And now it's like, oh, got an extra hour with my kids. What am I going to do? <laughs> right, right. And if your kid wakes up at seven, it's then six. If they wake up at six, it's then five. And so, yes, it totally 
flips on its head, flips on its head when it when you become a parent, right? Um, because our little body clocks are stronger than our will, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so with that just isolated by itself, um, there's pretty much three different ways to go about that. Uh, number one is do nothing. Um, you just try to jump into the new schedule come Sunday the 5th um, as quickly as possible. Now, in this day and age with my kids, they do sleep well, they are four and six. That's kind of my take. I don't recommend that for kids who aren't sleeping well already or for young, young kids. So second way and um, most common way that I would recommend and coach my clients with, I call it split the difference. We're going to try to, as painlessly as possible, kind of ease into the time change. So we don't, what we don't want to do is just say, okay, fine. If you normally get up at seven, you're up at six. So we're just going to start getting up at six until spring forward. Don't recommend that unless you want your child's schedule to naturally shift earlier. So the best way to handle that is for the first three days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we're going to split the difference. So if 7 a.m. is typical wake-up time, that becomes 6 with fallback. Try to keep them in their bed until 6.30. Um, that is going to feel like 7.30 on their bodies but it's not gonna feel like eight, which is if we just jumped into it, right? And then you would do the same. So if your child's on, if, if they're young enough that they're napping, but they're on a set schedule, you would do the same thing. 30 minutes earlier on the clock, feels like 30 minutes later on the body. If they're young enough that they're using wake windows to dictate their schedule, once you have that start time to your day, you would just follow the wake windows. Then the trick though is on Wednesday, you try to get back to the normal schedule. So um, this is a really helpful way. It does not mean that it's just gonna be perfect and they're just gonna naturally sleep till 6.30. Um, and then on Wednesday, they're naturally gonna sleep till seven. But if parents can kind of try to hold that boundary and if we can keep them in their dark room but we're not infiltrating their circadian rhythm with light too early, it can help them adjust. And for the vast majority of kids, they're back on track within a week. I've seen some kids who struggle a little bit longer than that, but that is the best way, in my opinion. Some families, number three, is they will, they like to start before the time change to kind of work up to it. Um, and they'll do things a little more gradually. So it means like bumping bedtime, nap time, morning time in like 15 minute increments every day. So that when you get to Sunday, you're an hour later, but then the time falls back. I personally recommend with almost all my clients that middle option and it's just going to help make it a little easier, but it's tough back to life until somebody changes that. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> um, waiting for that, but uh -huh. it yeah. is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, a couple of times it's come up in legislation and has not passed anywhere I've lived anyways. No, not up here either. I'm in Canada <laughs> yeah. and it's like the exact same thing. We all need to get on the same page, but I think right. it, it's, it's, uh, it's out of our control at this point. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it makes me think, so like, for example, my kids usually wake up at five 30. So when the time changes, they're going to be waking up at four, <laughs> right? which is not morning. My that's little not. friends. That's, that's still the middle of the night. And, yep. um, so 
one of the questions I was going to ask you, if you could shed some light on it, just in general is if we've got these early bird kids, are we stuck with that? Or is there something that we can do to help them yeah. either sleep in or stay in their rooms, even if they're awake? Like, sure. Absolutely. Good question. And yes, there is something you can do. The vast majority of kids are not, while, while their body clocks are strong, 5.30 for most kids is not a sticking point. 6.30 versus 7, maybe some kids, but um, I have full faith that your kids can sleep later than 5.30. First, I'll talk about um, like how to actually respond to that in the morning, but then I want to talk just a minute about what else might be contributing to that happening in the first place <clears throat> that you might be able to tackle to just naturally get it to happen. So um, being that we're talking about these kind of school age kids, young kids at school age, you know, we're in, we're in big kid beds at this point, which just makes it harder. So one of my favorite tools is an okay to wake clock, a toddler training clock, um, a hatch. These are all, hatch is just a particular tool, but if you Google okay to wake clock, 30 different things on the market. Essentially, um, a clock that just uses pictures or light combinations to indicate it's it's nighttime, it's time to be in bed, or it's morning. Now, a lot of people have heard of these. A lot of my clients, when they first come to me, they say, yeah, we tried that, it doesn't work. Well, it only works if parents are 100% consistent with implementing it. It's not a magic wand. Unfortunately, there isn't one, but it is a really helpful tool. So we want to make sure that they understand what it means, of course. We want to prove to them that it works. So set it for two minutes or whatever. They can see that it works. But then parents have to consider that thing the law, right? And that means that if they get up, are screaming out, anything other than, I call them the sleep rules. They're simple. Lay in bed, be quiet, stay in bed until your clock says it's morning, right? We can't force anybody to sleep. But if we can try to maintain those things, it's much more likely that they will fall back to sleep if they did naturally wake up a little early um, or that they'll learn to stay in their bed and rest in their dark room. So if they don't, there also has to be a consistent response from parents there. And we have to be careful that the response is not reinforcing the behavior. This is a behavior and parents get stuck up in their heads, treating it differently than we might treat uh, a behavior, you know, a defiant behavior during the daytime. It really isn't any different. Um, so making sure that the response isn't just come in my bed for the last hour, because I know that's sometimes the easy way out. We're all going to get a little more sleep. It's a surefire way to get them to repeat that over and over and over again till the end of time. Or flipping on the TV, because if your kid's watching cartoons, you can sleep or half sleep. All survival techniques, I get it not long-term solutions to get out of the problem. So they have to get back into their bed and back into their room. For some kids, simply doing that in a matter-of-fact way, we're not trying to get angry, but we're also not like doing these really big tuck-in rituals that they're looking forward to, right? It's just matter-of-fact. Your light says it's not morning, time to go back to bed. For a lot of kids, however, there has to be some sort of consequence. Again, just like other behaviors. Um, not designed to be a harsh punishment, just something that will motivate them to change the behavior. Um, until kids are maybe seven or eight, which I know your kids are, are kind of getting there, 
usually it needs to be something in the moment and related. Not a natural consequence, but kind of a logical consequence. So with my clients, it's often lovey needs to come with me for a minute. We're not taking it all night. Doesn't stop. Lovey needs to come with me for two minutes. We give it back. But there has to be something that will motivate them to change their behavior while you're saying no. When the light turns green is when you can get up. Sounds kind of simple in, in theory, a little bit harder in practice, but it's consistency there. Um, however, there's a lot of things that can trigger those early morning wakings. Lots of things. <laughs> um, so schedule-wise, you want to make sure that it's optimal. And the tricky thing and really cruel joke on parents is that both overtiredness and undertiredness can result in the same problem. So early rising, if it's scheduled triggered, can be not enough sleep pressure, too early of a bedtime, a child napping when they shouldn't be napping, napping too late, or overtiredness. And when we get overtired as humans in those evening hours, our body should be producing melatonin, our kind of sleepy hormone. When we miss that, our brain thinks our bodies need to stay awake. It releases cortisol to help us do that, a survival strategy that we no longer need in this day and age. And all that cortisol alerts us, stimulates us, gives us a second wind, and can make it harder getting to bed, but can also mean we don't have enough melatonin to help carry us through the night and thus result in early mornings. Other big one is making sure the room is super, super, super dark, um, which can sometimes be a hard sell with young kids. But you've got light entering, they're opening their eyes, kind of restless in the morning, which a lot of us are. You start getting light into the body, that's gonna also trigger the brain that it is time to wake up. So having a really dark room can be helpful as well. So those are some basic pointers, but very big common parts of the problem. Yeah. Okay. So many things come up. I wish I, I wish I could have done like three episodes. So I guess one question that I um, often wonder about is like, if I want, let's say, let's say I even want to get my kid to sleep in till like six or six 30. I know a lot of my friends have the same problem I do. And we're always like, Oh my God, like six would be amazing. Like six 30. Oh my God. But like, what time does your kid have to go to bed then? Because I've tried like the early, I've tried the later, mm-hmm. nothing really changes. Right. I'm just wondering what's an appropriate um, right. sleep schedule, you know, uh-huh. for this kind of age. So in the like four and five-year-old range, most kids need 10 to 12 hours of sleep per night. Once we get into like six and this will last until like 13, like nine to 11 hours kind of becomes the range. Now these are ranges. So you do have to experiment. Typically at the beginning of that age cycle, you're going to be at the higher end of sleep. Um, But every, every kid is different. They are ranges and some kids even fall slightly outside the typical range and can still be normal, healthy, getting enough sleep. So knowing how much they need to get, working backwards from what time do you want them to get up and or what time do they have to get up to get ready for school, doing that math backwards to get to your bedtime. If you're experimenting with things in the range to kind of try to pinpoint, um, I'd recommend like at least a week at one time, like if you're seeing how much we need, because it takes the body clock time to adjust when we make a scheduled tweak. You're not going to see the end result in one or two days. I would say 
four or five days at a minimum, ideally a week, so that we can really kind of evaluate, okay, was this the right, was this the right thing or not? Um, and if not, then you go back to the drawing board, try a slightly different time. So it's a little bit of a process, but once you kind of find it at one age, it'll be easier to adapt as they, as they grow. Yeah, that makes good yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, and to be honest, like my six and four year old go to bed at the same time. They don't have the same sleep needs. Um, and my six year old does wake up earlier, but he stays in his room until his light turns green. Right. So, and if there's no problem, like there's no harm in your child resting in their room, um, you know, until that time. So they're still in bed at 745 to eight every night. Love that. Mm -hmm. Love that. That sounds, yeah, <laughs> that's, mine are the same. I put them at 745 to eight, they're four and six. They go to bed at the same time. Um, but those, yeah, I still, I have so many notes that I've been taking. I don't know if you've been seeing like, um, I wonder about bedtime and falling asleep as well, because I've got one kid who's like, peace out, mom, like see you in the morning. And then the other mm -hmm. kid's like, but I need you and I want you. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. super conscious of trying to make sure that she gets her connection time during the day. So she's not trying mm -hmm. to get it at night. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I know she's just not tired, but when she is tired and she's melting down, then I'm like, oh, you're just overtired. Like literally just right. go to bed. But what can we do to encourage <laughs> that on her own? Uh-huh. So question real quick. Um is that where you just kind of get stuck there for a while, kind of calming her down, connecting, and then you leave and she puts herself to sleep? Or are you there in either through your presence, through touch, through something kind of aiding in that actual falling asleep? Usually I leave and she is awake and then she will fall asleep on her own once I've done the connection stuff. Okay. So I would go back to your bedtime routine in that case. Those are kind of two different ballparks there. and. This can start coming up much earlier too. I don't know when this started for you, but you know, in the three, four age range, we start to get um, a lot of requests for things like that, or just random requests for, you know, the 17th drink of water or going potty for the ninth time, whatever it is to stay up longer, to get more attention. So number one, you're doing great by trying to meet that need during the daytime, but then make sure that your bedtime routine is like rock solid and that it's incorporating ways to meet whatever needs your child has. So bedtime routines, we all hear about them. Like we're reading the pregnancy books. Oh, bedtime routine. They really are important. They're not just a fluff word. <laughs> Cueing systems to the body and brain that sleep is coming. So it is important that everything happens in the exact same order every night. Now it might evolve over time as your child grows, but in between that, we're staying the same. Um, Long enough to help prepare body and brain for sleep, concise enough that it's not like getting long, drawn out, things are getting muddled, right? And then with this age group, figuring out what those needs are. So if your daughter really needs more personal connection time, is it that we need to spend, we need to read one extra book? Is it that kind of connection? Is it physical touch? Uh, love a good pizza massage. If you don't know what that is, uh, you knead the dough, spread the sauce on, sprinkle the cheese on, on their back, right? You're making a pizza together. Your child can choose the toppings that go on your pizza. So your fun little connection game while also building in some actual physical touch. 
Um, some kids like to do like some mindful breathing and breathing exercises with mom or dad, but like, how can we not drag out your routine to three hours, but be intentional about the pieces we put into the actual routine so that we're building that in. And at the end of the routine, it's still whatever time bedtime is. And that's kind of a non-negotiable. Um, and we, we teach that. So as much as we can anticipate, if you've got the staller with the drinks of water, you make sure that you're incorporating that last drink of water in the routine. You brush your teeth, you get your cup, you have your drink of water. Anything we can do to anticipate it, be one step ahead of them. Um, so that it's not a thing, you know, pulling on your heartstrings, feeling like you didn't get to it tonight. However, some kids are still going to stall, still going to ask for more. And so once again, kind of like with the okay to wait clock, parents do have a job here and this is the boundary, eight o'clock bedtime, eight o'clock bedtime. Typically in most people's routines, the kind of fun stuff that a kid's going to look forward to is at the end. <clears throat> so with my kids, it's getting to read their stories. But if you are running around the house like a wild animal, not willing to get in the bathtub, unwilling to brush your teeth, which, you know, my kids are human too, still happens from time to time in my house. Then if we don't get ready for bed in time, we don't get the books, right? It's another kind of natural or logical consequence, but you have to follow through on that. Sure, it might increase the protest initially when parents kind of shift how they're handling that, but it's a teaching. It's a teaching moment and they will learn. If we do the things we have to do, take our bath, put on the PJs, brush our teeth, then we get more time to do the things we want to do in the routine. And it can make that transition, that departure for the night go a little more smoothly. I love the pizza mas massage idea. Yes. I've not heard about it before. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is my favorite when I talk to people and I think I've done the work and I think I've yes. done the learnings. And then every expert that I bring on has their own unique spin on things. And it's so cool to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, man, these are all amazing. Um, I have one more thing I want to touch on. Sure. And um, that is waking up in the middle of the night. And it's not like night terrors. I know that's a whole separate thing. Mm -hmm. But kids who wake up either uh, because their body gave them a cue, like they're colder, they have to pee and they have a hard time falling back asleep or mm -hmm. like they have a dream or mm -hmm. something. And like, how do we, do we leave them? Do we attend to them? What does it look mm -hmm. like that sort of best practice to help that go smoothly? Sure. Um, so there's a lot, there's a, we, this, we could talk about this just for an hour, but uh, try to make it concise. So you, I mean, at the highest level, you do need to try to figure out to the best of your ability, is there a true need or, or not, right? I will tell all of my clients, I will tell all of your listeners, of course, if there is a true immediate need, I want you to go to your child and meet that need, right? Um, a six-year-old, you know, waking up hungry in the night, unless they've been sick all day, throwing up the food, right? Is not, that's not a real need. That's probably a, hmm. Something sounds good right now. I want to see mom. Um, and you still kind of want to respond as consistently as possible. But I'm saying, yes, meet your child's needs. Yeah. Um, when it comes to things like, you know, going to the bathroom in the night, I always tell parents, like, 
don't rush that. Now your kids are obviously old enough too, but when they're kind of in the learning stages, which is usually after daytime, learning to go to the bathroom, uh, we want your kid to be able to do those sorts of things independently, right? We need them to be able to get up, to go to the bathroom. May, I've had some clients who are young enough who put a little potty chair in the room. They can go in the room, get back to bed. Mom takes care of it in the morning, right? Um, but making sure that those are also wakings that are legitimate, right? So that it's not 12 trips to the bathroom. Um, otherwise, it once again, can kind of sound like a broken record, but you really got to just set the whole framework and structure up with expectations. So I went back to those really simple sleep rules, in bed, lay in bed, be quiet, stay in bed until your light turns green. With my older kids, toddlers and older kids, they get a little chart with little emoji style pictures on it. With those on that, it goes on the wall at their eye level. You review it at the very last thing before you get into bed. And if they wake in the night and they're calling out for you, they get up and they're at your bedside, they're not following those sleep rules, then you need to get them back in bed, reference those rules, reference the light or the clock, going to take repetition, but we're teaching them that once we're in bed for the night, you know, you're sick, you wet the bed, nightmares can be real, um, but otherwise, the goal is that if they look at their clock, it still says it's sleep time, grab your blanket, grab your lovey, think about your favorite place, roll over and go back to sleep. It's not time to get up, your feet shouldn't touch the floor, you know. Um, so it's really just getting really clear about the boundaries and the expectations and then working through that first few days or first week of responding in that way so that they start to do it on their own. Now, this can be a whole nother part if we have kids. A lot of my clients come to me and they're requiring lots of help to get to sleep. <clears throat> and so then they're waking and can't get back to sleep because they don't know how to do it on their own. So a lot of this work would also apply there, but you're starting at a a farther down point. So it shouldn't be as much work, so to speak, like in your case, if your kids can generally put themselves to sleep. But my guess is that they've probably gotten used to some sort of reaction or response, you know, totally. from parents. Um, another really fun, real quick activity with nightmares, since you like the pizza massage, um, the dream backpack. So we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about fears and crazy things, you know, the bad things in the middle of the night that they're worried about. It's just kind of exacerbated. But it's a visualization. You, pack, you get out your dream backpack and you pack three or four things in your dream backpack that you want to dream about. So we're going to help their brains not think about whatever it was that they had a nightmare about. But what do we want? Like, what do you wish was in your dream backpack? we're on vacation or we're, you know, we're at Disneyland or we're getting to see grandma get, get chocolate cake tomorrow. I mean, whatever it is they want. And it literally can just help them kind of rewire the brain in that moment and pack on their dream backpack and get back into bed. Now this isn't with the lights on, this isn't 30 minutes long, but it's a way to kind of help them through something that's a little more of a need and to get them back into a positive kind of headspace for them to go back to sleep. But then the expectation is, back in their bed put themselves back to sleep so there's so many things so many things it's so <laughs> incredible and it's like so triggering for me because I'm like oh it's me it's not it's me like I have to do the work and <laughs> I bet you hear that all the time but it's like oh 
Right. Yeah. This, I is, mean, this is me. Yeah. I'm the yeah. Girl. When, mm-hmm. I mean, when we're talking about like in the sleep world, there's like medical sleep disorders or medically triggered sleep problems. That's not my area of expertise. Um, but in children, that is like this much of, of sleep problems, right? So uh, the people that I work with are the vast majority of common childhood sleeping problems. Yeah, my clients will joke, oh, you weren't helping to coach my baby or train my baby. Like you were coaching me, you were, you were teaching me. Yeah. And it's easy, there are kids. I mean, I've, I've been in that same situation, you know, even, even as a sleep consultant, you start to question it and, uh, you know, they pull on your heartstrings, they're your babies, but course that's their job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep but oh my gosh well I've it's been such a pleasure hearing all of the wisdom that you have I know that like we have just barely even grazed <laughs> the surface but um these sort of high level pointers are going to be so helpful for so many of the moms who are struggling Sorry. with this so thank you so much for coming on um if there's someone who's wanting to either get coached by you connect with you learn more from you where is the best place for them to go? Do you like to hang out online? Is it the website? Where's your favorite place to go? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if, if the person listening to this is like, I need to sleep yesterday, I want to talk to you. Best place is to go to my website. I know you're um, going to put it in the show notes, just tranquil-beginnings.com. When you go on my website, lots of information, but you'll very easily see a place where you can schedule a complimentary zoom chat with me sleep evaluation call. Essentially, we're going to hop online for 20, maybe 30 minutes. We're going to talk through face-to-face what's going on for your child. I'll tell you from a sleep standpoint, what I see is kind of the issues. And then I will tell you more about how I work with families like theirs. Let them ask any questions about the process. It is free. It is zero strings attached, no obligation to book a service with me. So that's like the best way to, to get to get to me and talk. However, um, if you're like, oh, I just want to stay in touch, learn more about her, I am on Instagram, I am on Facebook, on both platforms, it's at tranquil.beginnings.sleep. Do lots of free sleep tips that go out there, do Q&As occasionally. Um, and then the last thing I like to mention, is the bulk of my work is my private practice with my coaching clients. Um, as of beginning of this year, I also started selling some digital downloadable sleep guides. So these are for decently, generally sleeping, good sleeping kiddos, but they're struggling with a specific aspect. Maybe it is early morning, but otherwise things are good. Maybe we're getting ready to go to Hawaii and we're like flipping out about about the you know jet lag. Uh, maybe it's nap transitions, going to the big kid bed, fears and anxieties, you name it. So kind of by topic. And these are, you know, low price point. We want comprehensive information you're going to get a lot more than you're going to get on social media but it's not you know private coaching so I like to share that under the guides tab on my website and that's a good way if you're just struggling with one thing you can't figure out right I just need a little bit of a reminder even for people Mm -hmm. who have Mm -hmm. heard it but need that sort of resource to have yeah I love that well thank you again so much for coming on the show and I am confident that you're going to have a lot of uh, tired moms. <laughs> I mean, I've been there. I do this work because of my oldest child and my life was changed by someone who does the work I now do. And I have been on both sides of this and I totally get it. And it's what lights the fire. So <laughs> yeah, I 
and we're all in there it together. is another way out yeah <laughs> awesome well thank, thank you, you again. absolutely it was wonderful I want to thank you so much for tuning into the Grow Like a Mother podcast this week. You can find more great tips, motivation, inspiration, and community on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Like a Mother on both platforms. And if you enjoyed today's show and wish that you had found it sooner, I invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening. Doing so really helps promote the show to other moms just like you who want to grow and level up in their lives. And if you want to stay connected by email, I invite you to sign up for the email list by visiting the website, which is www.livingwithheart.ca, or diving into the free five-part video series that I recorded just for you. You can find all of the links and the details in the show notes. Until next week, keep on growing like a mother.